Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Welcome back to my 70s TV childhood. We are, I'd like to think, the finest podcast about growing up as a child in 1970s Britain and the central part that television played in our and our families' lives back then. The fact that we may be the only podcast covering the subject is irrelevant, but it makes me feel privileged to be taking our listeners back to simpler, happy times, when the biggest decision to make in our lives was whether to do your homework or to watch Scooby-Doo. We've been having a bit of a party this week at my 70s TV childhood towers, as we're celebrating our third birthday. Yes, it's been exactly three years since I pulled on my headphones and started what's become a big part of my life, and hopefully has made a difference to you too. Whether you're a long-time listener, whether you just stumbled upon the podcast this week, I'd like to say a very big thank you for listening. Thanks again to all of you who got in touch, either by email or via social media. It really makes producing this podcast worthwhile when I hear about your own memories and the things that you did as 70s kids. A particular thanks this time goes to Stan, who got in touch on the blog following our episode on Colditz and Secret Army. During that episode, I mentioned that I used to have a map on my bedroom wall which showed all of the successful escape routes from Colditz and that I had to save up crisp packets or something similar to get the map. Well, Stan has managed to find the exact map on the internet and it turns out I had to save up wrappers from Galaxy and Ripple Bars to get the map. Thanks so much for your research, Stan. I was really moved to see the map again after so many years. And thanks also to everyone else who's been in touch. Adrian and Nick have come up with some good ideas for future episodes, including asking whether we considered doing some live-streamed episodes. Well, it's certainly something we've considered, and we've been looking at the best way we could make that happen in terms of technology and giving people the right kind of access. So watch this space, we're working on it. Also thanks to Stephanie, who I had a lovely bit of email correspondence with about why we started the podcast and how it inspired memories for our listeners. If you want to share anything about what you've heard, or what you'd like to hear, or just some of your memories of growing up in 1970s Britain, you can do so by leaving a comment on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. Contact us via your favoured social media platform, or email me Oliver at my seventies TV childhood.com. I'd really love to hear from you. Now, going back to Stan finding my coldest map on Tinternet, I've been reminded that the war was something which many people still remembered vividly in the 1970s. It wasn't that far away in history, and so many people had their lives affected by it in all kinds of ways. So it wasn't a surprise that it provided the inspiration for lots of films and television programmes. And we're going to remember another one for the rest of this episode. Jimmy Perry and David Croft were responsible for creating the most famous wartime-inspired series with Dad's Army, which is still being shown on Saturday Night TV over 50 years after the first episode was shown. But that wasn't their only wartime-based sitcom. Based on their own experiences during the war, the two men created another show, which looked at a hapless group of soldiers in a concert party, pulled together to entertain troops on the front line. 
I remember it used to be on on a Thursday night just after Top of the Pops, so we had a great spot for the ratings. It was first broadcast in 1974 and ran for 56 episodes over eight series until coming to an end in 1981. It Ain't Half Hotman has not been shown by the BBC for many decades, as it's gained a reputation in later years for having racist and potentially homophobic undertones. We will come back to that reputation and look at the charges levelled against the show a bit later, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves what it was all about. The series charts the adventures of a concert party in the Royal Artillery in India and Burma during the last months of the Second World War, after the German surrender. The concert party entertains troops before they get sent to the front line, and although it sounds a bit like ENSA, the Entertainment National Service Association, or every night something atrocious as it was apparently known to soldiers, it's made clear throughout the series that these men are regular soldiers, who could be sent into battle at any point, and that's a threat which hangs over them constantly. The men represent a very broad cross-section of British society and also have widely varying artistic talents. They're led by two rather hopeless upper-class officers, Colonel Reynolds, played by Donald Hewlett, and Captain Ashwood, played by Michael Knowles. The colonel is bluff and pretty work-shy, seeing the concert party as an easy way out to see out the war, and the captain is a nice but dim man with no natural leadership or guile. When asked by the colonel for suggestions when the group find themselves in trouble, which tends to happen almost every episode, he used to just say, It's a tricky one, sir. The men themselves are kept in order by Sergeant Major Williams, a hard-nosed professional soldier played unforgettably by Windsor Davies. Williams hates being assigned to the concert party and longs to be on the front line where the real action is. He's loud, scary, and a bit of a bully, and is allegedly based on the sergeant majors that Perry and Croft had to deal with in the war in India. He longs to get the concert party sent up the jungle, as he constantly refers to it, and tries all sorts of devious tricks to make that happen, largely without success. The main star of the concert party shows is Gunnar Beaumont, a.k.a. Gloria, who's the female lead for the group in the long tradition of soldiers dressing up as women although Gloria is also quite sensitive and certainly not a soldier. The character was played by Melvin Hayes, who I knew best from Here Come the Double Deckers, where he played Albert the street sweeper and often provided the musical interest in the shows. The lead male singer of the party was Gunnar Lofty Sugden, played by Don Estelle. Now if you remember, Lofty was a very small, rotund, or could I even say fat man, who for some reason that was never explained always wore a pith helmet, but he had a deep Welsh operatic voice, which never failed to move listening audiences. Lofty was also the main target of the Sergeant Major's tongue, and was generally volunteered to do ridiculous things as part of the troops' activities, and as part of creating the comic devices for the plot. 
There was Solly Solomons, played by George Layton, who was already a star from his appearances in the various Doctor sitcoms. You remember those, Doctor in the House? Although having said that, that sounds a bit like a hip-hop DJ's name now. Um, But Doctor at Large, Doctor at Sea, Doctor in Clover, well, well, you get the idea. Now, I can't remember what Solly Solomon's skill was on the stage, but he was pretty savvy and kept everyone else focused on avoiding the front line and producing a great show. He also disappeared fairly on without much explanation from what I remember. Other members of the troupe were Lardidar Gunnar Graham, the pianist, so-called because he was a Cambridge graduate, which really wound up the Sergeant Major. We had Nobby Clark, who did bird impressions as his act. And then there was Gunnar McIntosh, played by the Scottish actor Stuart McGugan, who used to be on Play School, if you remember that. McIntosh was the strongman act. And there was also Nosher Evans, who I can't remember what he did other than eat, hence the nickname. Central to the plot and the title of the show was Gunnar Parkin, a young man just arrived from England, who possesses no noticeable stage talent at all, and who writes to his mother in the first episode, telling her, It ain't half hot, Mum, which explains the series' title. Parkin is also key in that his mother used to be a girlfriend of the Sergeant Major, who, once he finds out, imagines that Parkin is his son. The rest of the concert party sees on this, and are determined to keep Parkey on the team, as they think that this will save them from the front line. In his turn, the Sergeant Major is always praising Parkin and saying things like, lovely boy, and uh, fine set of shoulders on that soldier. As important as the soldiers are, lots of the plot revolves around their Indian and later Burmese support, and this is where some of the controversy comes from. In the first few series, Michael Bates played Ranji Ram, an Indian porter who butters up the British, particularly the officers and Sergeant Major, at every opportunity, but is in fact a shrewd and rather cynical operator who gets the most out of his position and helps out the ordinary soldiers wherever he can. He's supported by the Charwalla, who, as well as carrying tea, harbours dreams of an India free from British rule, and the Punkawalla, who fans the British officers to keep them cool. All of this is done in a reasonably even-handed way, with Ranji always telling the British how proud of being British he is and using phrases like, we British. So why such controversy? Well, Michael Bates, who played Ranji, was white. And this portrayal of an Indian character is one of those which has become characterised as blackface. But I'm not sure it's as straightforward as that. Unlike many shows of the time, which were clearly and deliberately derogatory and based upon traditional racial stereotypes, this was more subtle, and Michael Bates was born and brought up in India. He spoke fluent Urdu, and felt himself to be both Indian and British. I think that Sanjeev Baskar summed it up quite well in an interview in 2010, when he remembered watching the show as an Indian child. He said, I've always felt the criticism of him was too simplistic. Michael Bates was a very funny actor and had great comic timing. Rather than race, it was really about the class differences between the Officer Toffs and the Sergeant Major. Bates' character Ranji was like Sergeant Bilko. He had the quick lines, and I never felt that he was taking the mickey out of Indians. Now clearly, a show featuring a white actor playing an Indian wouldn't be made today, But I think we do have to be careful when we look back at attitudes and behaviours of the time, 
which was, as we are all aware, almost 50 years ago. And whilst we're dealing with controversy, we should also mention the accusations that the show was homophobic. This largely comes from the Sergeant Major's language when he addresses the concert party, often telling them there are a bunch of, well, a word beginning with P. Once again, we wouldn't make a show using that language in that way today. But for Perry and Croft, they were reflecting what they'd experienced during the war. Tough, hardened professional soldiers like Williams couldn't understand why some men would prefer to be in the concert party, singing songs on stage, rather than being in the front line. And their reactions were, as we said, of the time that this was written and the time that these events were experienced. What some commentators see as another factor in the BBC's reluctance to repeat the show is its attitude to imperialism in the British Empire. The late A.A. Gill wrote in the Sunday Times saying, rather than being satirical or dramatic or even a parable, the show relied solely on English prejudice and nostalgia. But others see it slightly differently. Neil Clark, writing in the Times, pointed out that the show delightfully lampooned the attitudes of the British in India. And in an article published shortly after Windsor Davies' death, Alex Massey wrote that even when judged by modern standards, the show is a relatively minor offender when compared with programmes such as Mind Your Language, Love Thy Neighbour and Curry and Chips. I'll leave you to come to your own opinions on this. And if you'd like to share your thoughts with our listeners, let me know. Well, that was getting all a bit serious, wasn't it? I think we always have to be conscious of controversial subjects, especially when looking back to Britain in the 70s. But for us as children watching these shows, we weren't always conscious of that. And in the case of It Ain't Half Hot Mum, I remember it as being funny and as a show that I watched with my family, particularly my mother, who loved it, especially as she was a big fan of musicals and old musical songs, which featured heavily in the shows put on by the hapless concert party. And I think that's why I remember it so well. Happy family memories are triggered for me by all sorts of things. Television programmes that we watched together being one of those. So what were your favourite episodes of the show? It's one of those shows where I remember watching lots of episodes, but only remember a few vividly. And I think that's partly because they typically involve the concert party getting into a scrape, trying lots of silly things to get out of the scrape, usually involving Lofty wearing a silly costume or doing something silly, and then all turning out well before Renji appeared with an old Hindu proverb to round things off at the end of the show. I mentioned earlier that one of the plot lines revolves around Williams thinking Gunnar Parkin was his son. I remember that part of that involved the gang breaking into the medical officer's records and altering Parkin's health record to show his blood group was the same as Sergeant Major Williams's. Why I remember that episode particularly, I don't know, but it was a pivotal moment in the plot development, which helped keep the concert party away from the front line and made the Sergeant Major's chest swell in pride at having his imagined son near him. The one I remember most clearly was about monsoon madness. In this episode, Williams makes the men dig out trenches in the blazing heat as temperatures were rising ahead of the monsoon season. I also seem to remember they all had to eat these huge salt tablets to try and stave off this monsoon madness. There's lots of discussion of the monsoon madness, which apparently drives men into doing terrible things and ultimately can provoke murderous thoughts. Well, as a result of being driven to exhaustion by digging, 
lofty or gunner short house, as he's sometimes called, gets a case of monsoon madness and vows to kill the sergeant major. Are you all right, lofty? Lofty, having turned from shy Welsh tenor into an axe-wielding homicidal maniac. Having got backstage during the show, Lofty raises his weapon to strike the deadly blow when a loud thunderclap is heard and the monsoon rains begin. The madness breaks too and Lofty is horrified to find himself standing at the side of the stage with an axe and a grisly murder is avoided. Another I remember vividly, perhaps because it was one of my mother's favourites, was where the silliness was quite memorable. The concert party are persuaded to perform a show on a raft on a river and they sing a popular 30s number, By a Waterfall, which I can still remember the tune and the words to. As they perform, the raft's mooring comes adrift and they begin to float downriver towards, you guessed it, a huge waterfall. Lots of silliness unfolds and the singing continues before the gang are rescued and all is well in the end. Sergeant Major, I can't sing anymore. I can't hear the music. As I think about it now, I can see my parents roaring with laughter as the comic scene played out. And that's a really nice memory of them. The final episode I'll mention is the very last episode of the show, shown in 1981, so out of our 70s timescale, but I think still worth mentioning. I think by that time it was also shown on Saturday nights rather than Thursdays. The war is over. All of the British have sailed home from Burma and arrived back in Britain. The concert party and the sergeant major say their goodbyes to each other in a railway station tea room and the gang we've come to know and love all go their separate ways until only Sergeant Major Williams and Gunnar Parkin are left. What's the matter, boy? You've gone something? Uh, no, no. Oh, you don't miss your train. That's all right. They haven't blown a whistle yet. You didn't get that job, did you, Sergeant Major? No. Oh, there you go. They turned me down. Too old. Still, depressing places, prisons, aren't they? So you haven't got anywhere to go, then? Well, no, no special. What about that widow lady in Wales with the pub that he was always telling me about? Yeah, well, I, I rang her up last night and her new husband answered the phone. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you can come and stay with Mum and me until you get things sorted out. I couldn't do that. Of course you can. Mum always asked after you in her letters. Yes. I haven't seen him for 25 years. 
I'd like to see it again. Well, that's it then. Well, only till I get myself sorted out, mind. Oh, you soon do that. Come on, sir. After you, lovely boy. Shoulders back. Find better shoulders. Show them off. Come on, Park, keep it going. A lovely and fitting end to the show. Although I'm afraid there is a rather sad postscript in that Christopher Mitchell, who played Gunnar Parkin, found acting work hard to come by after the success of the show and having been stereotyped as Gunnar Parkin. And he gradually went into a decline, developing an alcohol addiction and eventually dying in 2001 at the age of only 52. Tragic. And what we shouldn't also forget is the show was hugely popular with regular audiences of more than 10 million. It also provided Windsor Davies and Don Estelle with a memorable hit record. Why tell them all the old thing? They're buried under the snow. Whispering grass, don't tell the trees, cause the trees don't need to know. Don't you tell it to the breeze, cause she will tell the birds and bees, and everyone will know, because you told the labyrinth trees. Oh yes, you told them once before, and it is no secret anymore. I will not have gossip in this jungle. I'm sure many of you remember that one. Whispering Grass went to number one in the UK charts in June 1975 and stayed there for three weeks. The two of them sang the song in their It Ain't Our Fuckman characters and appeared on top of the pops. I remember singing it in a group at school and it really caught the imagination of the British public. Strange to remember that, really, but I think a measure of how popular the show and its characters have become. Whether the later controversies about the show have tarnished its image or not, I'll leave you to decide, but my abiding memory is that, as a young child, I found it really funny, and it's one of those shows I remember being a family television event. And that's enough for me. So meet again, cos the boys are here, the boys to entertain you. B-O-B-O-Y-S, boys to entertain you. If you'd like to share your memories of It Ain't Off Hotman, or indeed if you'd like to share anything related to the podcast, you can do so now by going to our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. You can leave comments on social media by searching for us, or simply by emailing me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. That's all we've got time for now, but do join us again next week for our next quiz, and then again in a fortnight for the next episode of the podcast. Oh, and please don't forget to subscribe, like, review and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Take care, and I'll see you again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.